there was a lot of trial and error. The thing we had in our back pocket for a long time was a supporting network of Twitter communities. So we could easily get designs out to the public, tested, understand what worked and what didn't, and then be able to go back to our process, reiterate, and then remarket ourselves again. Welcome to the Glam and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Takara Suet, head of partnerships at Wavebreak. On this show, we talk with leaders of beauty, fashion, and lifestyle brands. We dive into their stories, lessons learned, and perspectives on how the industry is ever evolving. Subscribe and join us each week as we glam and grow. This episode is brought to you by Wavebreak. Most brands don't email right and it costs them. With ad costs getting more and more expensive, a world-class email and SMS program is essential. This is why Wavebreak exists. We're the premier email and SMS marketing agency that helps brands take their retention programs to the next level. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co slash call. Today on the show, we have Richard Henney, co-founder of Ivory Ella. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Of course. Happy to be here. So for listeners who are not familiar with the brand, tell me more about Ivory Ella and how you started. Sure. So Ivory Ella is an e-commerce apparel brand with the mission to provide good clothes for a good cause. And that basically means with every purchase from Ivory Ella, We're donating at least 10%, but sometimes as high as 50% of profits from each sale to various charities. The main one and our our proudest partner is Save the Elephant. And that is the core of how we launched the brand. So Ivriella was launched in 2015 by myself and five other founders. It's actually a pretty different story. None of us had met prior to launching the brand. We were all social media marketers, specifically Twitter. And I know in today's world, uh, social media marketer is probably the most vague generic term. <laughs> yeah, um, you be a little more specific of how you did yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. But at the time, it was a little bit more unheard of. We were some of the first people that were involved in Twitter meme pages or theme pages. I'm sure you're very familiar with them now on Instagram and all sorts of different platforms. But they were really some of the first accounts that were trying to build a community around a specific topic. So you could imagine uh, cute puppy dog pics could be the handle. And that one account could have something like 200,000 followers, specifically people looking for cute puppy content. So across the six of us, we all met on this underground network of Twitter creators and decided that if we pulled our resources together, we could really build something special. It's so goofy to think about because we're all so different. We were all spread across the country. We had a founder in Connecticut who had a wife and kids. We had a founder who was a a fashion kind of model in New York. And then we had one who was like a tech whiz out of Wisconsin. But all of these people were connected on this network uh, and we were all able to meet each other and really, you know, pull our ideas together to build something special. So what happened from there is we were sharing content. We were seeing what was trending in the world. We like to always consider ourselves a community-driven brand first. We listen to what our customers and what our supporters want to not only purchase, but believe in and support. And that's ultimately what landed us at Elephants and Ivoriella is that at the time, the Ringling Brothers Circus had just been shut down. There was all these news stories about elephants being mistreated. And we just saw this amazing response from our communities that whenever something about elephant was brought up, they were very quick to act on it. To solidify those beliefs before we launched the brand, we created a new 
Twitter account called Elephant Vibes. And all that account was, was elephant content, little cute baby elephants, anything to build that network and see how it would respond. And we were able to grow that to almost 200,000 followers in just a few short weeks. So once we had seen that this interest and this desire to, to learn about this animal was out there, we decided how can we set our side, ourselves apart from other brands so we're not just another t-shirt company? And that was really when listening to our community and the followers we had across all these different accounts, we realized that millennials and more so Gen Z, we understand that to live a good life, like you need to give back and try to make a difference. And I believe that a lot of that has to do with social media and the fact that we're seeing so many things in real time and having these organic conversations what that led us to decide is, okay, if we're going to build a brand, it's going to try to make a difference in the world. A little funny story I'll tell when we launched the brand. I remember when I was sitting in the back of my college class, I was completely consumed by this at the time. So I really wasn't paying attention to what was going on uh, in class. And I, I stepped outside because I had to make a phone call to the organization Save the Elephants. They had returned my call and I was so excited. I got up, I ran out of the classroom, I started talking to them. And they were like, hey, we really appreciate what you're trying to do. And we think the mission is really important. But we've just seen so many people over the years try to take our IP and use it for sales. And it would be too hard of a hurdle for us to get over. And we said, look, we completely understand. We appreciate you uh, hearing us out. And we hope to partner together in the future. And inevitably, we would end up launching our brand that week. And what we did was really hype up this launch. We got everybody excited about it. We were doing about two months worth of prep on social media, telling people to keep an eye out for this brand launching. And when we launched, we only had 500 shirts and those shirts sold out in 17 minutes. We didn't know what to do. And that's the whole uh, next part of the story. But the cool part was we decided, look, we could either sell it out and make people wait and hope they stick around, or we can put it on pre-order and see what happens. And because of that, we were able to fund the entire company ourselves right with that launch. And we continued to be on back order for almost the entire next year, pretty much always having about 100 orders we would have to push out. And the reason I talked about Save the Elephants in the beginning of this is after that first week, we were able to call them and say, hey, we would be honored to give you our first donation of $20,000 and partner with you to make this something really special for the long run. And they were uh, obviously thrilled um, that we were able to do that. And so were we. And because of that, we've been connected with Save the Elephants since launch. And they're practically a second family for us. There's so much to unpack here. That story is phenomenal. So yeah. <laughs> a brand was born from a bunch of strangers who bonded over memes on Twitter. Exactly. The most interesting dynamic of this to me is how did... X number of strangers get along, delegate who was going to do what and actually make a brand successful when you didn't know each other, you didn't know each other's skill set. Like how did you divide and conquer uh, the work and the ideas? Yep, yep. It was, <laughs> yeah, it's something I, I don't know that we ever found the perfect solution for. The funny thing was our founder, Matt, who had the wife and kids in Connecticut, he had partnered with a local screen printer out of a little rental unit where they had a couple manual print presses and they had done those first 500 shirts. So actually what ended up happening was myself and two of the other founders who all happened to be from the Philly area. I knew one of them, John, growing up, but the other one, Jacob, we had met through Twitter. The three of us all hopped in a car and drove up to Connecticut immediately. 
the person Ryan I had uh, mentioned flew in from Wisconsin and we all basically spent the next two weeks folding, tying and shipping out shirts. And that was how we met each other. That was how we started to uh, brainstorm different ideas and decide who could take on what. But to be honest, it was, it was pretty much a dib system. It was who wants to take what first and then collaborating with each other to come up with the answers together because in truth, we had no idea what we were doing. I think the most exciting part of that was we didn't understand that founders start brands and outsource a lot of the operations because they want to focus on brand building and marketing. For us, we just thought, oh, people don't normally have the capital to fund these things themselves. So why don't we just build everything from the ground up? So that first year, we were building a distribution center, a customer service team, a finance team. We rented out an abandoned car salesman building, used car sales lot. And we bought two automatic print presses, these like giant machines with 16 arms to print uh, different screen printing t-shirts. And we built a print center from scratch. So it really forced us to just say, okay, let's hit the ground running and we'll just figure out the problems as we go. There were a lot of problems and a lot of different challenges we had to overcome, but it is one of those stories where just putting your first foot forward and trying to learn as you go, it really is a magical thing. And it's, it's something I would highly recommend to anybody who's trying to get started. I didn't know any of this going in. And now I feel so comfortable with all of these different aspects of the business. It's something I'm so appreciative of. I would highly recommend that to any entrepreneur. It sounds like a very magical dynamic because I'd imagine you all were at different stages of your life. Maybe some people were working on other projects. Like that to me is the most interesting part is how yep. you came together and uh, were so committed. Everything to, yeah, exactly. I think a lot of us, we understood that what had just happened very well could be lightning in a bottle. And I think because of how life-changing it was and how quickly it happened and how much good we were able to do so quickly, we all knew that whatever else we had going on had to be put on the shelf and let us focus on this full time. I love it. This is an amazing story. So let's talk a little bit more about Save the Elephants. Do you want to elaborate on what you guys have been able to accomplish thus far, what your goals are? Yeah, of course. For them, it's been, a, it's been a very exciting ride. I know our first year, all of the founders made a trip out there and hung out with the founders of Save the Elephants. And to me, I think the first real eye-opening experience for me to be on the ground with a charity partner was that these organizations, they're not massively funded. There isn't hundreds of people behind them. Most of these charities are run by a handful of people with a passionate desire to make a difference. And they just work, they just work to get it done. And I couldn't believe that there was just this like family of people here in Samburu, Kenya, dedicated to saving the elephants and making a difference in the world. And they were doing it, they were living that dream and they were making a serious difference. What Save the Elephants does is they really focus on pairing science with conservation work. So really what they try to do is understand how the elephants live their lives, where their habitats are, but more so how they coexist with humans. And for them, the whole goal is to try to build a world and a community where elephants and humans can coexist. Because you have to realize that a lot of these people in Samburu, 
They're not living the most fruitful lives. They might have a, a farm in their backyard that is their entire living. And when an elephant comes through and eats the crops, now that person doesn't have anything to support himself or their family. So these are some of the, the problems that Save the Elephants is trying to tackle. They educate the local communities to help them understand like tourism, supporting elephants, understanding that side of the culture can really be beneficial to them rather than seeing elephants as this giant threat or pest. I'm going in a lot of different directions right now. No, I, I find uh, but, it really interesting and it makes total sense. It's not just about saving elephants. It's also about saving a community as well. Exactly. And, and teaching these people that they can coexist peacefully. But a lot of the things that we've already been able to do with them, we would have never thought were possible. For example, like one thing we were able to do in the first year, their recon plane, which they would use to go up and fly around Samburu and count all the elephants by hand, uh, it lost its engine in the first year. So we were able to replace that, get the plane back in the sky and yeah. actually go on some of these flights and, and, and you know, observe how they're doing this. And it's such a, it keeps going back to my first point. It, it's just so fascinating to see these people in their element living their whole lives to this mission. And building off of the community aspect, another project they recommended for us that we were able to do together was they had this local elementary school very close by to the wildlife refuge. And they would have big cats or other scary wildlife coming through this elementary school where they're, where they're kids staying and learning. And we said, okay, can we build a fence around this? and built this massive perimeter around the school where the students were able to go from less than 100 to 500 kids in that school over the course of these few years because now they have a place that's protected and giving them safety to study while living in such a crazy ecosystem and environment. So it's not always dollars going directly to the elephants. It's trying to find the best ways that we can help. Depending on how much money that is, there's always different projects they have available. Yeah, that's fantastic. What an amazing feeling for you guys. And then it's such an awesome way to build community. Like every time somebody purchases a, a t-shirt or any sort of product, they're contributing to that. So it's an amazing opportunity for anybody who wants to be a part of the brand. So yeah, let's talk about yeah. like design and products and how you went from printing one t-shirt when you guys necessarily didn't have a design background to building an entire brand around this. Yeah, that was most certainly tricky. <laughs> For us, we, we tried to keep it very simple out the gate. We only had a handful of designs, either created by the founders or some of our early designers. Our long-term designer who's actually been with us from the first year until now is actually my girlfriend and has been an amazing um, asset to our team and has really built out majority of the products and designs we've had over the years. It was very much a team of people who were teaching themselves how to do this. It, it rang true for not just the founders, but a lot of the people we would bring in were friends and family and people we trusted and people we wanted to grow the brand with. So because of that, there was a lot of trial and error. But fortunately for us, the thing we had in our back pocket for a long time was a supporting network of Twitter communities. So we could easily get designs out to the public, tested understand what worked and what didn't, and then be able to go back to our process, reiterate, and then remarket ourselves again. Because of that, it definitely gave us a leg up, especially in our first few years. And it would actually allow us to not have to spend too much money on paid advertising during that time either. So because of that free marketing tool and the flexibility of our team, 
and understanding what our community wanted from us and made it very simple for us to plug and play within that formula. I think you'll notice when you're on our website and you're looking at our tees and our hoodies, for the most part, we're not selling anything too complicated, right? It's a, a logo on the front, a logo on the back. What we're really selling is a story and an experience. So while the fashion is important and the product is important, we wanted to make sure we could build a product that anybody felt comfortable putting on and getting behind. Because at the end of the day, it's less about the fashion statement they're making. And it's more about when somebody asks them, hey, why are you wearing this shirt? This shirt is cool. Tell me about it. And they get to tell the story of, oh, it's this amazing company. They're trying to make a difference. They're giving back. And because of that, I definitely believe we've had a little bit more leeway with our products and acceptance of our products, despite maybe not having that really deep fashion background when we launched the brand. Yeah, that makes sense. So what's your, what would you say is your target demographic? Yeah, so that's something I think we continuously ask ourselves even to this day a little bit. Because of that wide launch and that shotgun approach to getting people into our funnel and into our brand, our customers ranged all over the place. And I know one of the core things they tell you when you're building brands is define your customer and stick to that profile. But for us, it was so difficult because so many people are resonating with the company. So what we had to do was eventually decide to almost pick a lane, but tailor it towards where you're having those conversations. So we say our core customer is a Gen Z, a young millennial girl. It's somebody that wants to make a difference and do good in the world. But what we've found with our social media background and technology savviness is that every platform has a different primary targeted community. And you can really just try to edit your voice to match each of them. So what I mean by that is Facebook, for example, we all know is the older customer, right? That's where the older demos are going to be. That's where you can get more information, more reading more updates around the charity, that's really the content they love to see there. They want to hear about what we're doing. They want to have the long blog posts that they can engage with and share with their friends. But for something like TikTok, where we've been the most active now, to be native on that platform, you're doing goofy dances, you're doing cooking videos, you're doing more creative and and Gen Z inspired content because it's living on that platform. So for us, we acknowledge that the customer that we have is really, it's wide. It's hitting all of these different groups, whether it be moms, young adults, Gen Z kids. But for us, it's about trying to tailor the message depending on the platform you're speaking on and hitting as many of those customers in that relative demographic as possible. So aside from social media being the start of the business, What has social media done for the business and how are you constantly keeping up with trends to make sure you're ahead of the game? Yeah, I think that's always the goal, trying to stay ahead of the trends. I think uh, with social media in particular, it is ever-changing and at a crazy fast pace. As I mentioned, we started the brand on Twitter and Twitter was the backbone of our company for the first two years, but not everything lasts, right? And very quickly, Instagram got a lot of prevalence. The whole age of influencer marketing happened. And then new projects would pop up that were trying to push away Instagram for a while and are succeeding now. So for us, it's about staying on all of the new platforms and waiting to see what kind of communities are built there and understanding if they match our brand. So TikTok's the best example, I think, because it's probably the most recent. But TikTok is a community of, of largely this Gen Z demo that all really connect with our mission and they want to make a difference 
And a lot of the content on TikTok is either goofy or fun, but a lot of it is pretty thoughtful. And there's a lot of passion behind that community. So for us, once we saw that the TikTok community was rapidly expanding, we very quickly inserted ourselves by partnering with different agencies and groups and connections we met over the years to make sure that we are there and we're, we're talking to the people that are relevant for the platform. So for us, we connected with a lot of the big creators. We got them sold on our mission. We used a couple agency partners to help connect us to some of them as well. And we just started seeding product and telling people, we would love to support you. We love your content. We'd love to host you on our account, have you talk about our cause and how you want to give back and how you want to make a difference. And creators really resonate with that message. And to date, I think we're almost at 560,000 followers on TikTok, which has been great. And I think TikTok is probably, while it's very relevant, and while I think it will become a much bigger shopping platform than it is now, you already see other platforms and companies try to mirror what they're doing. So for us, I think the benefit we have is I do think a lot of these platforms are moving towards a short form digital media format, meaning they're all trying to make this really quick videos and kind of commercial ads. And you're seeing that now with Snapchat Spotlight, you're seeing that with Instagram Reels. And basically, because of the work we did on TikTok, it's allowing us to take that content and replicate it for these new platforms and continuing to stay on the cutting edge. Will we be there forever? It's hard to say. I think so. Uh, But I hope. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you. But we hope if we continue to follow this strategy and, and stay where the people are moving, we'll at least know what platforms need our most attention moving forward. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are really on the pulse of trends. So obviously, the last year has been incredibly challenging for everybody. So talk to me about some of the challenges you faced during the last year production issues and how you were able to navigate this very challenging time? Yeah, it was definitely challenging for a number of reasons. We have a design and marketing studio in New York. So that was obviously the first to shut down and forcing us to work remote. But I think everybody's having to learn from that and have these Zoom calls like we're doing now is such a commonplace thing. So that was easily figured out. But we also have our fulfillment and distribution center in Rhode Island, and that has almost 75 employees itself doing everything from screen printing, fulfillment, customer service, uh, all the other things we had talked about earlier. And that took a little bit of adjusting to make sure we were able to run the facility, but in a way that kept our employees safe and their families safe. So that was probably the second biggest challenge. Fortunately, we have an employee by the name of Scott who manages our warehouse and did a fantastic job keeping everybody safe and happy there. So I couldn't be more thankful for him. But the problems definitely did not stop there either. And I'm sure a lot of brands had to deal with this, but we also had a lot of delays from production. A lot of our products that we had planned to drop in spring, let's say, didn't arrive until winter. Some items we were hoping to have for the holiday didn't come for the following spring. And that definitely puts you in a bind as a business, which is why the fundamentals like inventory management are so important making sure you're, you're not overextending yourself on any one SKU or product to put you in a very difficult position. But it was something we were able to work through. The other side of things too is we were a e-commerce brand out the gate. But over the years, we've been able to establish a bit of a wholesale presence as well. And as I'm sure you can imagine, and many other apparel brands had to deal with, the wholesale business basically shut down overnight because there was no more foot traffic. All of these stores were closed down. They had all this inventory they had to move through. 
And that also put brands in a bind because now you have to figure out not only is your new product late, you can't even move the product you have for some of these other channels you have designated because they're also shut down and they're also suffering. So a lot of bobbing and weaving to get through that for lack of a better term. But fortunately, we've been able to build a lot of really great relationships, not only our suppliers, but our customers. And by over communicating and working together and kind of problem solving through this, we were able to make it out through the other side. Do I know how things are going to progress from here? It's very hard to say. I think some people think that the world's going to just go back to normal, whatever normal is, like tomorrow. But I do think we're still getting through this together. And there's probably going to be a lot of new normals established that brands, companies, and individuals are going to have to navigate as we enter this post-pandemic world ahead of us now. I agree. It'll be very interesting to see how things really pan out long-term. And shout out to Scott. We'll definitely make sure he listens to this podcast. Yes. Uh, in terms of shipping delays and things of that nature, how did you communicate to your customers and keep them engaged and happy and keep them up to, to speed on what was going on yeah. behind the scenes? Yeah, so we, we try to do a lot of genuine messages to our customers, either having employees talk on social media directly to them or sending out emails to our dedicated list. We really do try to lean into transparency as a way to get through this. But for us, one of those things I talked about earlier ended up being a great asset because we had this print shop and this flexibility, we can always go back to our core bread and butter, which is screen printed t-shirts. So for us, while some of our more third-party finished goods like outerwear, Sherpa, leggings, those types of products were definitely running into some issues, what we were able to adapt and move on quickly was our screen printing business. So for example, during the beginning of the pandemic last year, we were able to very quickly design and launch a hope campaign. And the hope campaign was basically a collection of different screen printed t-shirts, different symbolism, representing three different charities that we felt were tied to the pandemic and allowed us to tell some stories with some very simple product to keep the customers engaged and keep them supporting the business. If we didn't have that screen printing facility and we didn't store our own blanks, we might've been in a serious problem. But because we took that chance in the beginning building the brand and our infrastructure, we had that facility all ready to go and support us. And so we were able to raise like $10,000 maybe for each of these charities. One was a animal rescue uh, group out of New York called Hearts and Bones. We were able to do an immediate COVID medical disaster relief company called Heart to Heart International. And we were also able to support a charity called Project Sunshine, which brings entertainment kits, visits to children stuck in very difficult pediatric care hospital facilities where, they're, where they were unable to have even their family sometimes visit them due to the pandemic. So we would have our employees put together care kits and entertainment kits and ship them directly to the hospitals ourselves to try to give the charity and the children something to get them through the pandemic. So by very quickly coming up with these concepts and these stories and matching product to support them, we were able to get out new and exciting product that helped carry the brand through that time. Gosh, you guys are a force. That's really incredible. And it's wonderful that brands like yourselves are doing things like this and really being on the pulse and supporting such wonderful charities. So we have time Thank for you. one more question. Yeah, I sincerely mean that. 
tell me what's your goal for the brand for 2021 and what's on the horizon for you guys, whether new products or new initiatives that you would like to support. Yeah. So for us, and and as I'm sure for a lot of brands, it's about understanding what this transition is going to look like and trying to build our own case for a new normal. I think everybody has to take a step back after surviving this year and making sure that their core infrastructure, their core beliefs, the processes and systems that had to change a hundred times to pivot during COVID. The core for us is to make sure all of that is sturdy and ready to go moving forward from here. I, I do think brands and companies probably made more changes than they're even aware of over the past year that if they're not careful to observe and really hone in on, could end up causing problems down the road. That being said, we're very happy with where we're at now, but it did take a long time to get there. And because of that, we've also been able to take a step back and spend this time uh, talking with our communities and figuring out what other causes are really important to them. So this year and in the past uh, couple months and what we're looking to do in the future is really start to round out the brand and make more sub-collections underneath our core mission to give back to. So for example, in the past, we've done one-off t-shirts for different things like breast cancer research, pediatric care, American Heart Association. But this year is the first time we've really started building new collections of products around a specific cause. So for example, and I'll walk you through our year here, in the beginning of the pandemic, when everybody was stuck inside in winter and there was a lot of loneliness and isolation, we decided to do a collection around pets, cats and dogs, animal adoption and shelter as a way to connect us with the animals that were keeping us all happy and healthy while we were stuck inside. And that collection will take a portion of the proceeds and rather than donate to save the elephants, it will go towards Hearts and Bones Rescue and other SBCA type charities as we sell more products from that collection. And that was very well received. It has a very similar logo to the elephant, but in a dog form. And since then, we've started to branch out a little bit more. So for spring and kind of our focus for the next short bit is going to be our pollinators collection, where we're featuring honeybee designs, elephants dressed up as bees, all of these kind of playful, fun ways to teach our community about the importance of honeybees, pollination, um, and pollinators as a whole, and how they're uh, essential to the ecosystem and our food supply. So that has also been a very uh, relevant and important message for us to tell that links to our cause. The funny thing too is that there's actually a very strong link between elephants and bees uh, because going back to my previous story, one of the ways that uh, the charity has learned to protect farmers' crops from elephants is by actually creating fences of bees and using speakers making the sound of bees to scare the elephants away. Uh, So what that allows for, yeah, it's an awesome project. It's called Elephants and Bees. But that allows not only the farmer to have a honey crop now and a new uh, source of income, but it also allows them to coexist with the elephants and not feel threatened when they start to come to their area or or home. So that's been an awesome story to tell. Uh, Yeah. Nature kind of has its ways that it it does things. It's it's so Right, right. Like. The biggest, the biggest animal in the world is terrified of a, of a little bee. <laughs> so um, am I. <laughs> is, yeah, I know. Me too. Yeah. So it's just awesome. And then looking out to the rest of the year, we plan to do a coral reef marine conservation collection in the summer to really talk about saving the oceans. So that's another massive that. problem with the planet right now. Definitely. Yeah, we're very excited 
and and something that's very near and dear to me as well. And then finally, we'll probably close out the year revisiting our Arctic collection, which we did last holiday season as a way to help polar bears, uh, penguins, orcas, and all the animals that are really suffering from the loss of habitat due to climate change. So oh, there is yeah. a laundry list of causes. I was going to yeah. say, basically, Ivory Ella is saving the world <laughs> one t-shirt at a time. We're, we're doing our best. Yes. <laughs> well, you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And thank you guys so much for what you do. I knew quite a bit about the brand, but I'm blown away and hearing everything that you guys are doing. So truly, thank you. No, and I really appreciate you having me on and getting to tell our story. You know, at the end of the day, we want to inspire not only our customers, but other companies and brands and people in the space to realize that you don't have to give up profit to do good you can do both and you can make a real difference and build jobs and careers for the people that support you and do good and, and donate to charity and make a real difference. I hope coming on here, I can at least inspire one other person out there to try to do good and, and make a change. And like I said, just really appreciative for you having me on today. Yeah. And I'm sure you did. And I think consumers are getting much smarter and this is what they, they expect at this point. This is I couldn't agree more. So where can people find out more information about yourself and Ivriella and your mission? Yeah, my name is Rich Henney. I'm one of the founders. You can find me floating around all over social. Ivriella.com is our website. It's where you can find everything from our amazing products to all of the charity partners listed in all of their collections, direct links to go to their sites and support them yourself. That is just as important to us. Support our brand, support what we're doing, but make sure you're going out of your way to find the causes and really make sure that you believe that we believe we're doing something good and we're picking the right partners to make it happen. I will make sure all that information is linked down below and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure to leave a review and subscribe to all future episodes. For show notes and resources mentioned, go to glamandgrow.co. This show was produced by Wavebreak. If you're an e-commerce marketing leader who wants to take your email and CRM program to the next level, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you by Wavebreak. Most brands don't email right and it costs them. With ad costs getting more and more expensive, a world-class email and SMS program is essential. This is why Wavebreak exists. We're the premier email and SMS marketing agency that helps brands take their retention programs to the next level. If you want to learn more about partnering with us and how we can help, schedule a call with me today at wavebreak.co slash call.